What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 24 of Courtside Views. I'm your host, Andrew Bostic. Today, we got a big-time personality on the podcast. We got my boy, Hawass, a.k.a. The Basketball Files on TikTok. Hawass, what's going on, brother? What's up, bro? Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We've been looking to kind of get this rocking. We're kind of talking back and forth, commenting, you know, seeing what's going on on TikTok. So pretty excited to get you on. We've been talking about it for a little bit. Uh, for those of you that don't know Hawass or haven't seen his account, uh, he is the Basketball Files on TikTok, and he is from Toronto, Canada. Uh, so are the Raptors your favorite team, or do you kind of follow a couple different teams throughout the league? So, yeah, I would say the Raptors are my team for sure, but I'm also a big LeBron fan. So whatever team LeBron's on, I'm also – up, up to date with what's going on with his teams too so I mean I get I get a bit of slack for you know being a Raptors fan and a LeBron fan at the same time especially when he was in the east back in the day but I think I think it's cool I think especially this generation I feel like we all kind of have like a favorite player too that we kind of follow so I think it's I think it's okay I feel that. I mean, definitely a lot of people have that player that they just like stick to regardless. One of my buddies is like a diehard Jimmy Butler fan since the Chicago mm-hmm. days. And like, he just yeah. followed, follows Jimmy to back when he went to Timberwolves, then he went to the Sixers. And so like everywhere we go, we try and go to Jimmy Butler games. So it's and definitely everybody has like that player. I feel like, especially in this now pro player era, the player empowerment era, like everybody is definitely siding a lot more with the player versus the team. And I think that's pretty pretty dope kind of just seeing that connection seeing how like young fans are following along with that yeah exactly because you know especially now because so many players are moving teams back in the day you know mj stayed with the bulls larry bird stayed with the celtics magic with the lakers even kobe with the lakers so i think naturally i think people at first get into it for the player and if that player stays with the team for their entire career you end up having an attachment to the team but nowadays players move so much it's hard to you know, just stick with that one thing the whole time. But I'm also, I'm also definitely a Raptors fan too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, now you got to throw love. I mean, you got Demar Derozan, Kyle Lowry, all those ties. You got a 2019 yeah, no, I, run, which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, I mean, it's crazy to think about how. I mean, from when we started watching basketball, when you start to like look at guys like Dirk, the Tim Duncan, the Kobe's back in like the early 2000s and the early nine, mm-hmm. late 90s, of how like the loyalty in basketball has changed, and everybody expects like oh, you're drafted that team. It's like, you, that's your team. Like, that's what, what you are. And people don't understand, like, contracts work two ways. It's like, hey, maybe I maybe I don't want to stay on this team. Maybe this isn't what it is. A lot of players just assume that this is just where they're going to be. So it's crazy when you see, like, a player like Dame Lillard, you know, continue to follow that trend where he's just, like, staying till the yeah. wheels fall off in Portland yeah. no matter what versus, yeah. like, a guy like Anthony Davis where he gave it a shot in New Orleans. Is like, all right, like, are we just going to keep running on the same hamster wheel? Like I'm out, like I'm done. Yeah, for real. For real. I think it's good that the players have, you know, taken some power back in. You don't, you don't have to be loyal to someone who's not really going to be loyal to you because when, when the chips are down, the team will make a decision and from you, if, if that's what you want to do. So for you to do the same thing to them, I don't, I don't think it's like an issue, but some people still find an issue with it, but. We're in a new era, man. Things change. So I think it's good. It's crazy. And especially with, I love the kind of the way that the NBA has shifted to a certain extent, because you look at the past, it has been big markets, won 90 to 95% of NBA championships. Like that was just what it was. You see teams like LA, Chicago, New York, Boston, like they just ran the league. And then now you're seeing with the social media, you're seeing players can be stars, not in big markets, 
So you don't necessarily have to go to these bigger markets in order to like up your brand. Zion can be a star in New Orleans, make his money, get his Jordan deal, do what he needs to do, and still potentially be a franchise player to a certain extent versus having to be like, okay, well, I got, let me finish out my rookie deal. I won't sign an extension and I'll move on. Now it's like, okay, like look at Giannis, you know, he can do that. You know, Luca, yes, you have Dallas. I wouldn't necessarily consider Dallas like a big time market, but it's a big city. You know, Luca Mm -hmm. can be there forever and ever and make his money, make his stardom and just just ride off to the sunset. Exactly. That's a good point you made with the social media and technology nowadays. You can be a star in the smaller markets. And even even Kevin Durant, when he was in OKC Westbrook, when they were in OKC, that's another example. So now that's a good point about social media having a big impact. Especially, man. I mean, speaking of social media, I mean, obviously you got a pretty big following on TikTok and kind of what got you into that. I mean, what what really made you want to kind of get on the like the social media bandwagon of really, you know, commenting on basketball and like really showing these these crazy NBA highlights from back in the day? What's up with that? Um, you know, I've always been uh, a fan of basketball for a long time. Just a little bit about my backstory. Um, like you mentioned, um, I'm from Toronto. I'm 25 years old. Um, I was growing up. Uh, I was actually I actually played soccer. Um, basketball was my sport. I played soccer, but I felt like I resonated more with um, when I would watch interviews and and post games and stuff like a lot of the play- soccer players were um, Europeans or South Americans. They didn't really speak English. So I tended to gravitate to seeing like, you know, motivational stuff from Kobe Bryant, from LeBron James. And then I kind of started getting more into basketball from there. And um, the first first full season of NBA that I would say, like I watched like every single game for the Raptors was the 07, 08 season. Um, I, I didn't know, like uh, growing up, like I knew, you know, Kobe, Shaq, I- Iverson, KG all these guys, but like my full first season, like straight watching basketball where I was super into it was 07, 08. And from there, like, I've just been hooked like every single year, just watching the NBA. And now it's been 2020, 2022. So what is that? Like 14 years, almost 15 yeah, years watching basketball. And, and I've done my research too, like uh, going back and, and even, and, and seeing uh, the NBA prior to when I first started watching, but that's when I started getting into it. And uh, recently with the pandemic, I had a lot of time on my hands and I would always, you know, I always had so much things to talk about with basketball, whether it's debating with my friends or thinking of these different ideas. And I think TikTok really exploded like in the past couple of years. And absolutely, I, I saw it as an opportunity, you know, let me give this, let me give this a try. Like I, I did want to get into YouTube uh, when I was younger too, but YouTube didn't seem like you could really, you know, grow. It felt like YouTube was like becoming big on YouTube was just as hard as, you know, like making it as an athlete or, or being, or being a rapper, you know, it seems so far fetched, but TikTok has given so many regular people the opportunity to get this big following. So I was just like, yo, let me give it a shot. During the pandemic, I had time started making videos at first, nobody was watching my videos. And I guess that's just, that's just how it works with the social media stuff. You know, nobody watches you at first. And I kind of stopped for a little bit. And I was like, you know what, if I really want this to become something, I have to put in the work, you know, I can't just post five videos and think I'm going to be, you know, big superstar. Exactly. You know, so I literally posted videos every single day. I, I, I made it a promise to myself that I'm going to post at least one video every single day, posted videos every single day for eight months until I finally like got my first viral video. And the first one was, um, 
one I did of the 2013 finals, I kind of gave, I did one of those recaps, gave my opinion on it, and it got like 2, 2.5, 2.6 million views. And Crazy. then that's kind of where, my, yeah, where my account started to grow from there. And that's kind of like how I got into it. Yeah, man. I mean, that's, it's crazy just to see like the power of social media. Like you say, just like any, to a certain extent, regular guy can do it in that sense, but it does take that dedication. It's not going to be overnight success where you post two, three, four videos. And then it's like, okay, cool. <laughs> I guess I'm famous now, but no, like yeah. you, you put the dedication yeah. in, you put the work in, you put the videos in. And also like, I feel like everybody that is talking with their buddies, everybody has an opinion, but it's just like, are you willing to put the work in, speak it, put it out there to where you will be judged by people that you have no idea who they are. You know, people are going to tell you that it's like, Oh man, that's a dumbass take. Like, what are you doing? What's going on? Like, I love that. I feed off conversations. I love that kind of stuff. Like, because I think that you have to be consistent. Like anybody can say something then like go right back on it. Like, I think that we have to pride ourselves in being consistent with what we're saying. Like for something like, for example, like, I love Joel Embiid. I think Joel Embiid is, in my opinion, the best player in the NBA. Love his two-way game. I think I enjoy what he does. And it's like, I'm not going to say tomorrow. It's like, you know, I really think Kevin Durant's the best player in the NBA. It's like, I have no validity to what I'm saying if I'm just going back and forth. So I think for someone like yourself, you've been very consistent just based on, you know, from watching your videos, just seeing what you're doing. I think that's a huge part of why you are successful, which is pretty dope. Yeah, no, just uh, piggybacking off what you said. I think it was, I think it was uh, Nick Wright who said, like this this is an industry like you get paid to be wrong like you you're gonna give your takes but you're never gonna be right 100 percent of the time like you have to be okay yeah you have to be okay with being wrong because that's basically the industry that we're in right now so no one no one knows there's no all these basketball experts nobody knows anything realistic you know so you just have to be okay with taking the heat when you're wrong and just sticking uh you know, your views. So that's it, man. I think a lot of people just enjoy someone that sticks to their guns. Cause it's like, everyone assumes that they can just like, I don't want to say walk all over you, but it's, just, it's like, once they say something, it's like, they want to push their agenda. They want to push their opinion. It's like, when you don't give in, it's like, well, why isn't he siding with me? And then all of a sudden it creates that conversation. It creates an interaction. It's like, maybe they do see it from your side and I see it from your side. So it's like just bringing that conversation. And like one thing that from, so like the podcast being courtside views, it's like, I want everyone to find their view. It's like, come on down speak what you got to say, but I don't really care what you got to uh-huh. say. Cause I'm right. And that's the vibe. Like I want people to kind of bounce back and forth, have that conversation, yeah. like have that fun with it. Cause if you believe you're right and I believe you're right, I think it's going to lead to some good conversation because we're going to differ in some way. For real. I think disagreement is probably better than agreeing to be honest. And that's why you have these people who come with like these gimmicky takes because it's what, you know, drives people. Like I, Skip Bayless has made a career, like as much as, I, I used to dislike Skip Bayless, but I actually, you know, rate him a lot because he's smart. Like what he did was create this whole uh, gimmick of this person who's anti-LeBron. And it's crazy people to this day, like argue with him, like, but he knows what he's doing. That's what he yeah. wants. He wants that reaction. And from the bottom of my heart, like, I genuinely don't even think Skip Bayless, like, thinks a bad player. Like, I think no. he, he probably knows he's probably like the best ever, if not, you know, second, but you know, it's just part of the gig, you know, it's part of the gig. So I think kind of playing, playing into that too, that's also kind of something that I'm thinking of kind of, you know, going into that lane a little bit. From my perspective, I kind of want it to be like, because the analysts and the people I follow that I like, I like people that give like good takes, who back it up with facts, like that type of stuff. But I also think 
it's it's maybe you know maybe throwing a gimmick here and there get people get people angry you know get people passionate about something so i think i think that's that's some of the things you'll learn along the way you know you know someone who's who's in this now uh, sports take industry so yeah absolutely man I'm, i think i think asking questions is is the biggest part it's just like I can sit here and give my opinion, but it's like, you know, pose a question. It's like, like, what do y'all think? Like, what do you think of this scenario? Like, what do you think of this scenario? And see what people think, because there are going to yeah. be so many different opinions. Like I asked people the other day, it's like, this is the first time in the league that I think personally in probably the past 15-ish years that we don't have a number one de facto best player in the league. Mm-hmm. I think that you can look at from 2007 till, mm-hmm. you know, 2020, it was LeBron. I think that no one could look around. You can sprinkle in like KD a little bit, maybe in those two finals runs, but look at all the help he had. And that's for another day. But like no one denied LeBron was the best player in the league. And like, you couldn't, he Mm -hmm. could do anything against anybody. And it didn't matter when you go Mm -hmm. on those crazy finals runs, when you have all that, like it was the same thing with Jordan. It was the same thing with Kobe, Shaq, like Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, like they all had their runs. And now it's like, you look around, there's so much parity with a player like Giannis, with a player like Jokic, Embiid, Kevin Durant, LeBron is still in that conversation. And even if you throw in, you know, generational players like Steph, who may not have the two-way game, but he's just absolutely incredible. Like you can make a case for any of these players and you really haven't seen that in a long time. And that's so cool to, to talk on because you can legitimately make a point for all of them. Yeah, and um, I think it's interesting. I think this can go one of two ways. I think, you know, one player, I think when it comes to the best player in the world conversation, I think it takes, you know, some consistency over a few years for people to say, okay, you know, he's he's clearly the best player. He's been doing it for this this many years. So yeah. I think maybe one player can separate themselves over the pack over the next couple of years, or maybe we're in this new age where, there is no best player like every year it's somebody new maybe mm-hmm. you know it was Giannis last year maybe this year is Embiid's year maybe next the year after it's Jokic's year and and it just kind of keeps rotating maybe that's maybe that's what we're in for I don't know if the I don't know if the league has ever been like that I think it's kind of always been there's always been a best player maybe maybe we're in for something new it's always been tiered man it always has been and I think that that is kind of exciting because you look at Giannis, like Giannis, like broke the curse for himself. Like he got over that hump and like, you can definitely see it's like, all right, I may not be the biggest James Harden fan, but I know what he brings to the table. It's like, does that get Joel Embiid over the top? And then all of a sudden Murray just got assigned to the G lead today. So he's on his way back. Like, does that get Jokic over the top in the West? Then you have guys like John Moran, Luka Doncic, who are like knocking on the door of the top five, Boston Celtics, Jason Tatum. Like you can look down the top 10 and see these guys, which we'll get into these under 25 guys of they could be next but also involved in all of a sudden we're not talking about best player in the league we're talking about can you even crack the top 10 and that's just there's so much talent at the top and it's like holy shit like it's insane no for real i think i think during the mid 2000s i think there was a bit of a a decline in the talent pool in the nba there was a lot of weak drafts in the mid 2000s but i think ever since i think since like past like 2014 2015 like every single year the drafts not even just the lottery picks you have guys in the second round late first round picks even undrafted guys like Van Fleet who are just blossoming there's so much talent man and it's 
it's it's really exciting. NBA is in good hands. That's one thing I'll say. I know LeBron's on his way out, and I and I always thought like, man, what am I gonna do when LeBron's gone? Like, am I am I gonna still be into this thing? But the league, the league's in good hands. There's so many players, a lot of guys who are injured, and more talent coming in. So the league is in very good hands, man. Absolutely, I I couldn't agree with more. Than that. I think it's gonna be it's the first time we've seen it in a while, so it's exciting to kind of like ask that question of like, all right, like what is next? And like speaking of next, like obviously we talked about LeBron, like what does his future look like? We kind of have to talk about where he's at in his current situation versus the future. And that is the Los Angeles Lakers and the dumpster fire that is their team. And it's crazy because coming into the season, like honestly speaking, everybody had this team at the top or near the top in some capacity. While I'm not the biggest Russell Westbrook fan, on paper, when you throw out Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and in my opinion, any two players you want, you're expecting a championship mm-hmm. roster. Did you think that, like, what were your expectations coming in? <laughs> so I naturally, I'm an optimist. Even, even when it looks bad, I still have a little hope that there's going to be good. So before we even saw anything at the beginning of the season, a lot of people were critical about the Russell Westbrook move. And I could, I understand why yeah. people were concerned about the fit, but I thought it could work. I had high expectations. Um, you know, with with not just Westbrook, but they also made a bunch of offseason changes, you know, bringing in like Carmelo Anthony, um, bringing back Dwight Howard. Um, but I, I really thought that this was going to be a championship team. Um, but clearly, clearly they, they haven't been as good as as promised. And uh, one thing, the one thing I, uh, that I that I don't like sometimes that LeBron does is. He put a lot of pressure on himself, you know, putting out tweets like, oh, you guys are doubting us. We're old. We're about to show you da, 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 da. And, you know, it looks bad. Like, honestly, I don't know if they're going to get out of the plane. Like some people kind of are assuming like, oh, yeah, um, they'll at least make the playoffs. But I'm not so sure that they're going to make the plane. Like they can't even they can't even get into the um, the seven, eight spot. So they have to win playing games now they beat the pelicans who are in 10th and then they got to either beat i think it's um the clippers and uh, minnesota who are who are in those bottom two right if i'm if i'm not mistaken so so i think they'd have to they'd have to beat the pelicans and then the loser of minnesota uh clippers and they haven't been the clippers there's a stat they haven't been the clippers in like uh four years or something or since came they've lost they've lost a crazy amount of games to the clippers clippers literally i think have won I think 24 to 29 against the yeah. Lakers over the past X amount of years, which is absolutely yeah. insane. But it's like, when you look at that, it's like, okay, it, it kind of goes back into the conversation we had before about the talent pool in the NBA. It's like, they went star hunting over the fit of, okay, I understand the idea of they brought in Russell Westbrook to be that, that innings eater. LeBron got hurt last year. AD got hurt last year. So it's like, okay, let them rest up bring in Russell Westbrook who can, you know, in theory run an offense by himself because of how dynamic he is, you know, being able to be that hyper drive and assisting and just having the ball in his hands, what he's used to, but he just hasn't been able to do that. I saw a stat that since the all, since the all-star break, he's shooting 9% from the three point line. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, I think, I mean, he, he's so bad at, at, at what LeBron needs and I've talked about this for so many times. Like I've watched LeBron James his entire career. I'm a Cavaliers fan. So 
the number one success you have for LeBron is surround him with shooters and defense. You don't get either of those two things with Russell Westbrook. So I think that you look at the name of Russell Westbrook, it's like, that's great, but the name doesn't matter anymore. Like the fit matters more because the talent has just been so increased across the board that you look at a player like, you know, Nikolai Jokic and what he's playing with and they fit the team purely around him and no, they don't have stars. They're playing with guys like Aaron Gordon, Monte Mm -hmm. Morris, and, you know, Will Barton while Murray and um, uh, Michael Porter are out and they're a top five team in the West. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I feel like Westbrook just, he's just lost his confidence. Like watching these games, he's missing like shots that he normally makes that like he's point blank layups. He's missing at the rim, mid range jumpers that he knocked down earlier in his career. I think he's just, his confidence is gone. I think, I think that's part of it now at this stage, but um, I felt like I made a, I made a video when the, when the Westbrook uh, made the Westbrook move and I kind of compared it to when the Lakers had Rondo Rondo in his own right is a great player, but he's not a great shooter either. But with Rondo, they made it work in their championship run because Rondo was able to, while he wasn't a great shooter, he hit timely shots, you know, when necessary. So all my expectation was, I'm not asking Westbrook to shoot 40% from three, but when the ball is swung to you wide open, no one on you, just knock down at least like 34% of your shots, you know, and he has, he hasn't been able to do that. I think um, a lot of people, a lot of people, a lot of these analysts on ESPN still are kind of saying, you know what, um, with Ant- when Anthony Davis gets back, I don't know if I'll bet against LeBron James and Anthony Davis in a seven game series. And, and while, while I, I see what they're saying in terms of talent, I just looked it up. Anthony Davis and LeBron James together this season in games, they played their 11 and 10. So they're barely over 500 and the games I've watched were, when they've been together, they haven't been that great. I think, Speaking how, how we've been talking about the talent pool in today's NBA, I don't know if just two, two great players can just carry you all the way because there's so many good deep teams. I think it's becoming clearer and clearer now that, you know, a good system, a good well-oiled machine will beat talent like nine times out of 10 in this league. I think uh, when LeBron was in Cleveland, you know, in the, in the late 2000s, earlier on, I think one guy could really carry you and take you far. Yeah. But nowadays it's so different. I think you really need, like, you look at Phoenix, you look at Miami, you look at Milwaukee. These teams are deep. Like Miami, Miami, Miami's putting out like two, like 10 men, 10 men are on their roster out there playing full minutes and they look like starters. Like it's, it's going to be tough. Uh, I don't think, I don't think um, LeBron and AD when AD comes back, I'll, I'm optimistic. You know, I have that little bit of hope that they'll be great, but I don't, I don't think, like I said, I don't even know if they'll make it out of the plane. And if they do, they got Phoenix in round one. So that's going to be, that's going to be tough. Over. It's a wrap. And I think that my optimism ship has sailed a long, <laughs> a long time ago. I mean, honestly, I really don't, I don't see anything that's going to do this. And like, no offense to guys like Malik Monk or Austin Reeves or Taylor Horton Tucker. I mean, Taylor Horton Tucker sucks, but I, I mean, I look at this and I, I like the Rondo comparison that you said, but also Rondo understands his role. He understood what he comes in. Westbrook, mm-hmm. this is the first time, like kind of going back to what we talked about big market, small market. This is the first time Westbrook has ever played in the spotlight. And yes, while like the league spotlight may have been on him in OKC, expectation expectations were just to like be the guy. 
Yeah. And if you made it to the first round of OKC, like for them, it was like, you're the man. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that was it. Like, you just made the playoffs. Like, you play with Steven Adams and you play with Nick Collison. And that was it. Like, you make the playoffs and you were a cult hero in OKC. Then he goes to Houston and you flunk out. Well, it's like, that's eh, fine. James Harden's fault. No big deal. Like, ship him out of town. Then you go to Washington. They don't give a damn about basketball in Washington. They don't have expectations. Like, yeah, they're playing like with Bradley Beal and whatever, but they care about the playing game. They care about the first round. Like that's it. They want competitive basketball and just fun. Now you go to Lakers. This is the first time since back when Durant and Harden and OKC, when they were, you know, 22, 23 years old with actual finals expectations. This is the first time he's been on those teams. And he is just not accepting his role where he's not a number Mm -hmm. one or a number two player. He cannot and will not accept a number three role. And you see it, you see it in his play. You see it in his confidence. You see it in his decision-making and everything he does. He is shooting some of the worst percentages of his career. His decision-makings look terrible and they have no shooting around him. I'm sorry to Austin Reeves and Malik Monk and Carmelo Anthony, but there's barely any shooting. There's negative defense. When they won the 2020 championship, they had the third best defense in the league. Now they're the bottom, bottom 10. It's crazy. It's crazy how they went away from everything that won the title for a name that's what they did just uh, carrying off of what you just said right now um i think one i think uh rob palinka needs to be held accountable i think the decisions that he's made over the past couple of years have been terrible um i really like frank vogel as a coach like i like i like defensive coaches and you can see the first two last year they were the number one defensive team and you said the year before that they were third so he he did his job but now you know he's the pressure's on him now because the team's bad I don't really think it's Frank Vogel's fault but unfortunately I agree I think I think he's gone after this season because of the terrible season they they've had but I think Rob Polinka needs to be held accountable because I think the Lakers panicked I think their their championship team out of the four years LeBron's been that's easily been their best team and you know I think Rob Palinka got a little too cute after they won the championship. I understand you want to make moves after winning the championship. You don't want to stay stagnant. Like one of the biggest things that helped the Lakers defensively was their size, you know, throwing out uh, Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee, mm-hmm. having lineups with them really bothered other teams. And they let both of those guys go after winning the championship. Rondo, who I think was the third best player in the championship, and Rondo was amazing. We all know playoff Rondo. He was amazing during the playoffs. They let him walk. You bring in Trez, which he was the sixth man of the year. But there's a reason the Clippers let him walk. You think the Clippers would have just let him walk for no reason? He's Thank a liability. You. Trez was a liability. You bring in Trez. Who else? Who else did they bring? Schroeder. And I, I mean, I don't think Schroeder was so bad, but it, it clearly it didn't work uh, last season. I think those little tweaks, they still kept their defensive uh, rating up. They were the best defensive team last year. And I think, I can't remember their record, but LeBron was on pace for MVP. Everything was going well until LeBron got hurt last year, right? Come back into the playoffs, AD and LeBron are banged up. Come back, AD gets injured up 2-1 against Phoenix, and they lose that series. I think the Lakers panicked. Um, they, They made the move for Westbrook, like you said, because... LeBron and AD have been getting banged up. You bring in Westbrook for reinforcement, you know, play some games while AD or LeBron is out. But I think they panicked. You know, I think last year's team was a lot better than this year's team. I mean, last year they lacked shooting, but at least uh, defensively they were a lot better. You know, 
uh, Caruso, KCP, Kuzma, like they were a lot better last year, but sold their souls to get another superstar. Now it's uh, they're paying the price for, I, I I don't know what they could do going forward. I don't know what the, what the move is. Uh, who's going to take Westbrook. I mean, who's going to take Westbrook after this season? Yeah. I mean, that definitely leads to my next, like kind of like the, the final statement for the Lakers is just, does this team have a future for next year or even beyond? Cause I have no idea how you have no cap space. You're locked into LeBron, AD, and Westbrook for at least one more season, just with Westbrook. That's $44 million that you just physically cannot get rid of. And if you do somehow trade him, you have to attach that 2027 unprotected first, potentially even more like getting rid of Taylor Horton Tucker, Austin Reeves, your only young asset that you have, and you just sign THT and let Caruso walk. And you see the effect that Caruso has had in Chicago yeah. So at what point you're going to have to cut your losses somewhere. And yes, LA is a big market. They can get a free agent in some capacity. I understand that by getting rid of Westbrook's contract, but you're just playing with fire completely by even digging your hole deeper. And if you don't win next year by getting rid of Westbrook, I mean, LeBron's gone, you're going to have to trade AD and then you are building your, you're worse than like those late Kobe teams where they were just like scrapping at the bottom of like 2014, 2015. Yeah, because now they have no assets. Like, they've given away all their draft picks in the Anthony Davis trade, right? So uh, I don't know where the Lakers go from here. I think next year might be a wash, too. Like, you can't yeah. – I don't know how you're going how, how to move Westbrook. So maybe you got to wait till Westbrook Westbrook's contract is up. And I think the only hope is waiting for the next uh, uh, unhappy superstar who the Lakers – if I don't even know if that superstar would want to join the Lakers after, you know, have they been playing after two years? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I guess the only hope would be if Dame or Bradley Beal says, you know, I'm unhappy and I want to go to LA, you know, that's the only thing I see. And I don't know how realistic that is. And those are the same two players. Everybody immediately is like, Oh, unhappy superstar. It's gotta be Dame and Bradley Beal. These yeah. people have been in the same teams for 10 years. If they were unhappy, they would have been gone. And I think yeah. that those two players just want to play basketball, no pressure. They want to win on their terms. They both mm -hmm. want to be alphas. John mm -hmm. Wall left. Bradley Beal said, wait a second. I can make $40 million, score 30 points a game, and just show up? Sign me up. Dame Lillard, come out here. Play his way. He is a cult hero in Portland. He is the prodigal son of the Portland Trailblazers. He will get a statue. He will get everything for Portland. He... Where is he going to go? What's he going to do? Go to the Knicks and like play with Julius Randle? What does that do? He's going to go to the Lakers and play with a 39-year-old LeBron and a banged-up AD. I'm not saying they, don't, they aren't going to win, but now, you're, now you have three players that are making $40 million, and it's like, what are you putting around them? That's not good enough anymore. Like yeah. those, those star players, like you need more. You look yeah. at the top teams in the entire NBA. You mentioned Portland. You mentioned the Bucks. You mentioned Miami. We haven't even talked about the Nets. We haven't talked about the Celtics, Memphis, the Nuggets. I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on. And like, does bring in Dame, getting rid of Westbrook and THT and all the depth they have and playing with legit veteran minimum players, is that good enough? No, it's just not. No, so true. it's like, you have to legitimately hope that Westbrook has a revelation. It's like, you know what? I'm going to be a jump shooter now. Like, and they can win next year, but it, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen in year 13 for Westbrook. Yeah, no. And uh, the unfortunate thing is 
the Lakers should have really capitalized this season. I think the league is wide open this year. So open. Um, you know, the Warriors are kind of piecing it back together, but they're not, you know, like this unbeatable team. Um, Chris Paul, he's banged up right now. He'll, I think he'll be good by playoff time. Um, he's banged up right now. And Denver, no, there's no Murray. There's no Jokic this year. Clippers, there's no Kawhi, no PG. Imagine next year now. If you can't even make the playoffs this year, what do you think is going to happen next year when all those guys come back? Not to mention Memphis is going to be another year better. Uh, Zion might be back for the Pelicans. Those guys will be another year better. So I think the Lakers really squandered like, a really good opportunity to win another chip. And it's unfortunate, like LeBron is still doing his thing at this agent. They they don't have squad to support him. So I don't know I mean, what the Lakers They need a miracle, man. They're out here nine games under 500, and it's just not looking better. I mean, we're still talking about the talent pool. I mean, it's another year of a like a legit NBA draft class coming in. I mean, at the top, Chet Holmgren, Paolo Banchero, Jabari Smith, Jordan Ivey, Jalen Duran. Like, these are guys that are predicted to be impact players off the rip. We see this past rookie class with Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green. I mean, look at Evan Mobley. People haven't seen a defensive impact from Evan Mobley since Tim Duncan was a rookie. Like, that's crazy comparisons when we're talking about the talent. And Mm -hmm you're talking about, you know, three to four franchise players in one draft. And we're not even mentioning guys like Josh Giddy, Franz Wagner, and Scotty Barnes. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's insane that we're still getting to that level of talent. And yeah. when the Lakers are missing out on years, I mean, they, they don't have a first round pick till 2027. And if they are yeah. so desperate to get off Westbrook, that pick's gone. You're not bringing in any new young talent to this team until 2028. How how are you going to build a team without through the draft? Like, yeah, free agency can only get you so far. Like, look at what they had to do to get AD. And yeah. yes, they sold their soul for the title. A lot of NBA franchises would love to say that they have an NBA championship. So I understand that. But yeah. they got too cute. They sold it all. And they yeah. didn't build off of that with AD and LeBron. They went star power and it left them with the dust. Yeah, I think, um, you know, some people, some people might say, I, I still think, you know, they won the chip. It was, it was worth it for sure. But some, yeah, people, some people might question, you know, Anthony Davis, you look at what you gave up for Anthony Davis, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart. Um, they also gave, uh, what was the fourth pick 2019 draft, which ended up being Hunter. These are guys that could have been valuable players on our team right now. Could have been you that we were talking about, which they don't have because they went and they went superstar chasing. Basically, you went after Westbrook. You went. You gave up KCP, uh, Kuzma, and um, and Harrell in that deal. So look at all these names we've mentioned for Anthony Davis and Russ Westbrook. You could have really built something with those guys. So is it worth it to get an Anthony Davis who doesn't even play? half of the games was it worth it i don't know i don't know i think they thought ad was going to take the mantle from lebron clearly that's not happening so i don't know i mean it's you want to talk about like literally selling your soul for that ring like yes i'm sure lakers fans will say we'll do it 10 times out of 10 because they got that ring and as a cavaliers fan who literally has seen one championship like 2016 thank you lebron (laughs) i'll do it 10 times out of 10 i've seen my team decimated over and over and bring it on like he got that ring but that was i mean 
you're they they will pay for it for the next five plus years yeah. at a minimum yeah. because this yeah. team does not have a chance of winning in the future because they, the the cupboards are barren. There's nothing left, and you have Anthony Davis and LeBron and Westbrook to show for it. And if LeBron truly does walk and go play with Bronny like he says that he's going to do, mm-hmm. you have nothing to show for it. So Lakers, 2020 champions, yeah. all the power to you. But yeah. that's all you got. Yeah, now you got to take it. The thing about the Lakers fan base is they want more and more and more, right? Yeah. But like you said, as a Cavs fan, you have that one championship. Raptors fan, we have the one championship. Franchises don't, franchises don't win like multiple championships every single year. That's rare. Ooh. Well, I guess I guess what they did for that one championship was good enough because mm-hmm. there's still some franchises that don't even have one. So, yeah, amen. Absolutely, man. I mean, your hometown team, Toronto. Yeah. I mean, I think that Toronto is kind of the the picture of small market that swung and hit it big. I mean, they built through the draft. They've constantly built through the draft. I think they have the best GM and president of basketball operations in basketball that we've seen since like the beginning RCB for days in San Antonio. I mean, Masai Ujiri is goddamn incredible. You look at the talent that they have brought in through Toronto. I mean, just from the Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, I mean, just, and then those, the the timely trades of like Masai reading the market and understanding what happens to get rid of arguably the best player in Toronto since Vince Carter in DeMar DeRozan, seeing that, accepting that and saying Kawhi Leonard is going to change this franchise and it pays off. Mm -hmm. People don't do that. People don't trade your, like, especially small markets. Like, you don't trade your best player, the heart and soul of your team, for one single year of of the best player, but it worked. And it's just, like, the balls on that human being. And then going out and trading for Marc Gasol at the deadline, like, another big ball move. And they threw out the, the, I mean, you want to talk about what the Cavaliers are doing from the Twin Towers. The Raptors are throughout. Kawhi, Serge Ibaka, Marc Gasol, Siakam, and Kyle Lowry on certain lineups. Like, they were playing Kawhi at the two. Who the yeah. fuck was scoring on that team? Yeah. That was the best. That was one of the best defensive. And when they, I mean, I, I think even, even a, a healthy KD would have had a tough time scoring and, and just with the pure defense that that lineup and what they were able to do. I mean, that, that was magical from a basketball standpoint. Completely unbiased. I love that run. I mean, the Kawhi bounce against that, like the Sixers team where they went. I mean, that, that was a supercharged team. I mean, Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, like that team was supercharged for a title run. And Kawhi yeah. essentially single-handedly won that, that series. Yeah. 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 So Toronto, I mean, now obviously they've moved on from Kawhi. He did what he had to do. He sold, I mean, Thank you, Kawhi, for everything, for giving us just that wild season of 2019 of kind of that ended the the Cavaliers Warriors run. It it ended from 2014 to 2019. Like that was it. It's a wrap. Now we move on. And here we are in this new era. It's like, okay, you guys have zagged completely against the league. So get rid of Kyle Lowry, start the new era, build around Fred Van Vliet. Van Vliet proves that he can step up. You bring in a guy like Gary Trent to be like an afterburner, just bombing threes. Siakam is back to playing at an all-NBA level. OG Ananubi has literally gotten better in five straight seasons. He looks like an animal. You have Siakam. You have, I mean, uh, draft Scotty Barnes when everyone's saying like, 
draft Jalen Suggs, draft Jalen Suggs. Yeah. I hate Jalen Suggs, by the way, so this is amazing. <laughs> um, and then you have guys off the bench, Preston Achua, Chris Boucher. Like, you have these guys, but in your best five lineup, is that enough? When you're talking about your, your starting five, Fred Van Vliet, Gary Trent, OG, Siakam, and Scotty Barnes, is that an NBA contender, or do you need a star? Do you need that Kawhi Leonard? No, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's a good, it's a good, you know, lower level playoff team. It's a tough out in a seven game series, but it's not a contender. You need, at the end of the day, as much as we were talking about depth earlier, you still need that star talent. And you, it's funny you say Kawhi Leonard. I feel like Kawhi Leonard is like literally the perfect player to go with this team to go on another run. Um, but no, the, it, it's not enough. And I think, you know, some fans are delusional. Like some of my friends, you know, oh yeah, the Raptors are going to do this. We're going to do that. No, I think, I think it's good for us to be in the plane. Um, I think we got We have a, a little bit of, you know, championship experience with the guys who are on the, on the team, uh, Fred Siakam, uh, OG was there, but he, he was hurt during the playoff run. But outside mm-hmm. of that, there is no playoff experience on the roster. So I think even something like the playing game, being in a high stakes game, you know, a first round series, the experience that it would give, you know, guys like Scotty Barnes, Precious Achua, Gary Trent Jr. He, he's been in the playoffs. Sorry, Trent's been in the playoffs. But, you know, some more experience for a guy like him. These things make you better. You know, I've seen, I saw the build up to the championship. You know, it wasn't oh one, you know, you just get Kawhi and you win the championship. 20, you know, 2013 bounced in the first round, seven games by Brooklyn. It was a slow burn, dog. Yeah, 2014, <laughs> we come back, come back. We're thinking, okay, you know, we 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 barely lost last year. This year, we're going to take a step forward, advance, get swept in the first round by Washington. Come back, you know, the next year, make it all the way to the conference finals, run into LeBron. Next two seasons, LeBron beats us. LeBron told, sweep, sweep, sweep. Then finally come, you bring in Kawhi, but it's a buildup to winning a championship. You don't win. So I think, you know, first, a first round series, you know, even if we get swept, I think that that would be great experience for us. I think even if, even if we don't make the playoffs, I mean, there's no guarantee that they're making the playoffs. They're in seventh right now. They got a, they got a date with Brooklyn in the playing game. Uh, Can you beat Kevin Durant? And I mean, a positive is, Kyrie Irving might not play because of the COVID thing. So I think, I think potentially there's a chance you could beat uh, the Nets, but I don't know if you want to see Kevin Durant in a winner-takes-all game. I don't know if you want no. to see him. You know? So you could potentially lose to Brooklyn in the first playing game, and then you're going to have to beat – I'm not sure who's who's after. I think You got Charlotte, Charlotte and you got Atlanta. So it's like I think it's going to be Atlanta. Teams. I mean, yeah, both I those know, teams to beat Atlanta in the playing game. So we might not even make it out of the playing game. But mm-hmm. I think those two playing games, even if you lose that, the guys are going to come back hungry next year. Mm-hmm. Scotty, you know, all these guys are going to have a chip on their shoulder, upset that they didn't make the playoffs. So I think losses and failures really help you get to the next level. But going back to your question, no, they don't have enough right now, but I think that's okay. They don't need to have it all right now. You just kind of build, I think we have the foundation, which is the most important thing to me. Back in the day, before Masai, when Brian Colangelo was the manager, it was a shit show. Like, the Raptors literally, 
I, I question what he was doing as a GM. Like, I don't know if it was just like, I have no idea. The Raptors were so bad. If you look back at those, you know, late 2000s Raptors teams with Chris Bosh and the Chris Bosh era, those guys on those teams wouldn't even be in the NBA today. Like we were talking uh-huh. about talent. Those guys wouldn't even make the NBA today. And those were the guys that, you know, Chris Bosh was running with. So I think Daniel yeah. Marshall, Morris Peterson, like all those oh, guys, Aaron yeah. Williams, like, oh, my Rockwell God. Yeah, but a lot, a lot of guys, a lot of, a lot of guys who wouldn't make an NBA yeah. roster today. But it's crazy. Bringing aside Nick Nurse, who we haven't mentioned yet, who I think is a top three, top five coach in the NBA. I think, uh, you know, the schemes, the things that he's willing to think outside of the box and do things that, you know, other coaches probably wouldn't even think of doing. You see coaches adopting some of the stuff that Nick Nurse does now. I think with the foundation of Masai and Nick Nurse, I trust I trust the organization. Uh, you can see, like we mentioned, the moves that Masai is willing to make, giving up your best player like DeMar. Um, I even think a move like Norman Powell for Gary Trent Jr. is a steal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's Masai, somebody I trust in. And just uh, I was watching one of his interviews uh, I think it was like from the beginning of the season, he was talking about what the next phase is for this team. And like you mentioned earlier, they're kind of zagging away from what other teams are doing. They're kind of looking into these five-man lineups of guys who are like six, eight, six, nine, mm-hmm. who can handle the ball, shoot. And that's really different. You know, it, it may it may not work, but, you know, it, I'm, I'm happy that they're trying to, you know, take their strengths and, and, and try something new. Imagine like a lineup where Scotty Barnes, is, you know, your point guard, you got OG, Siakam, you know, Precious. I think in terms of their bigs, uh, I think they need to upgrade their bigs. Maybe it comes through development. Maybe, you know, I trust the Raptors player development as well. I think maybe, As most should. Yeah, I think maybe Precious or Chua, maybe he can develop into what they need at that position. Or maybe that's a move that you make that Masai needs to address in the offseason. But I do think they need talent. And I think... We have a good pool of players. I think, you know, some some fans don't like to be realistic when it comes to trades, but I think if it means having to move on from like Scotty and, you know, package Scotty, Gary, Trent, and Siakam for a superstar that becomes available, I think you got to do it, you know? So I think you need a superstar to win in this league. I think the Raptors kind of have to build and t- around, around, you know, build a team until they can get a guy that they can plug in kind of like what they did with Kawhi. So I'm optimistic for the future. I, I like the guys we got, we got championship experience. we got a good coach, a good GM. We're trending in the right direction. So I'm excited. Sure, man. I mean, I I'm super excited kind of for the Raptors and what they're doing. And I think that, no, I mean, I totally agree with you that they're definitely not a championship contender, but I look at a team like the Cleveland Cavaliers and what they're doing and kind of like that comparison of you have to build something and the fact that they have key points in place, especially like from an all-star perspective, Siakam's playing like an all-NBA player and all-star talent. Fred Van Vliet yeah. deserves the respect that he is getting from a point guard perspective, just being a floor general, stretching the floor, being an all-star, legit all-star player. Then you have these kind of mishmash of these last three players of Gary Trent, a three-point marksman. OG Ananubi has gotten better, but what is his true ceiling? Like, is he a 20-plus point-per-game player? Is he a 3-and-D guy? And then you have Scotty Barnes, who obviously is in his rookie year, and you're not even close to realizing what the hell he is. So I think that they need to continue to stick with this roster. And a one player that I would love to bring in would be Mo Bamba, because I think that Bamba's heading into free agency. 
Orlando clearly mm-hmm. doesn't want him, and I really don't know why. If they can bring in a player like Mo Bamba, you want to talk about like the switchability of this roster. He's that upgrade over pressure to Chua. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, now you slot down Gary Trent to the bench for certain lineups, and you're rolling out Fred Van Vloot, OG, Scotty Barnes, Siakam, and, and Mo Bamba. Bamba can shoot the three. Siakam can shoot the three. Fred, OG, and uh, Gary. Yeah. That's shooters across the board. That's yeah, yeah. length across the board. That, to me, yeah. gives me 2019 vibes of that yeah. championship run. And while maybe it doesn't have that yeah. allure star power of Kawhi, it has all-star players. It has all-NBA players. And it re- yeah. the key player in that is Scotty. Because if Scotty can take that yeah. next step offensively and be that 16, 17-point-per-game player, that five- to six-assist player to let – Fred be a scorer, Siakam be a scorer, OG be a scorer, Gary be a scorer, and you have this legit top five, top three defense, that unlocks an entire part of the team just by bringing in one, you know, massive seven-foot center, but can also stretch the floor. That is what I think this team could need, and that doesn't break the bank, and I think that kind of rolls right into what you guys do from a player development perspective. Yeah. What what do you think is – Scotty ceiling. I mean, obviously, it's a tough question. You've only seen a small sample size of him in his first year, but what is his player comp? Because that's something I struggle with. Like, yeah, I, a lot of fans are excited. I love Scotty, but is he? I think some people might think he's more than what he could be. But again, we don't know his potential, what his potential is. But what do you think is his ceiling? Who's his player comp? Who do you think he could be? I think role plays a massive factor into his ceiling. Is he going to be the glue guy of his intangibles that he is? Because you look at a player like Draymond Green, and I think that everybody just kind of, I immediately think of Draymond Green with him, but he has, because Draymond, because he's such a great defender, you, you people think of him as a top five defender of all time. You forget about how good he is on offense and how methodical he is and how he doesn't need to score, but he is the engine of that offense. He gets Steph the ball. Steph is not the same player without Draymond. Yes, he's an all-time great. I'm not saying he's bad, but Draymond is that. He's their point guard. He's their point forward. The dude can average a 10-10-10 across the board, and I think from a Scotty perspective, if he takes on that Draymond role, that gets the Raptors to the next level because that unlocks Fred Van Vliet, you play Fred in that Steph role coming off screens, coming mm-hmm. off elevator picks, working on that. You play Gary Trent in that three role of Clay Thompson of don't dribble the ball, don't put the ball on the floor. You get the ball. If you don't have to open three, pass it, keep moving. Then you have the Andre Iguodala role of OG Ananubi, who would be a better shooter. Then you mm-hmm. have that quote unquote Kevin Durant of Pascal Siakam. But mm-hmm. what would unlock that team is Mo Bamba or a player of that size to where this Warriors never really had that. They tried it with DeMarcus Cousins in the big man role. You know, they had Zaza Pachulia and Vestazili and all those guys. But now you bring in a Mobamba to really stretch the floor of a three and D. That would unlock this team exponentially. And I think, Scotty, if he career arcs himself that way of just studying Draymond Green, lockdown defender, I mean, he's uber athletic, the way he can pass, the way he can dribble, the way he can just organize the game. That to me is where he needs to focus instead of trying to be a 20 point per game player, you know, hitting all these certain like accolades, like just organizing the game and structuring it unlocks Pascal, Kyle, I'm sorry, Fred Van Vliet and OG and unlocks them. And that makes this team scary. Yeah, I, I like I like that comparison. I never thought about that. Draymond, I think that is 
a really good player to aspire to be. And I think yeah. his game, his game really fits that mold. I think people think, you know, look into like, like you said, a, a 20 point per game score, mm-hmm. look for him to be like a superstar. I, I hear people saying, you know, he can be Kawhi, but I don't think, I don't think he should be no, Kawhi. And I, he doesn't I, need to. I think, the dream, I think the Draymond role that you said, I think that's perfect for him. I think he could really be that and maybe even be better than Draymond. You know, he ha- he's a lot more athletic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he definitely has to get his IQ up there because Draymond's one of the best. But <laughs> I, I like I like that. Do you think, now my question to you is, say they do everything that you said and, you know, they're this well-oiled machine. Do you think that makes them a contender? Or do you still think, like, do you see them in the likes of like a Detroit Pistons in 2004 going for a championship in that sense? Or do you still think, they're going to need something on top of that to be a championship team again. I think Scotty is the biggest X factor. And I definitely think that would be a championship tender because that unlocks in a completely different side of this team that isn't being talked about. Like right now, Scotty is just like going through the motions, being a part of the team, being in the fifth option. I mean, you see him rock with the team all of a sudden two games. He'll have, you know, under five shots. The next games he'll have, you know, 10 plus. Mm-hmm. So it's like he really doesn't have his yeah. defined role, which is understandable. He's you know barely 20 years old. So I completely understand of really kind of finding his groove. But if he does unlock like what he's able to do, of like, okay, I'm targeting this amount of shots. I'm working the offense. I'm going to be the engine. I'm going to be the point guy of the point forward and whatever that means and getting him the ball more in those key situations and saying, hey, Scotty, you're going to play small ball center. You're going to be our power forward. You're going to be here and we're going to move Siakam and Siakam's going to play on the wing and then drop OG down. He's playing the two and that opens up size and Gary's going to move to the bench, which is going to increase our depth. And it's like, you have all these options that can do that. And I think that from a championship perspective, it's tough to look at that team and say, how are they not a championship contender? Because across the board, they're going to be able to defend anybody. Yeah. And if they're getting great shots and they have offensive talent, you don't need one player getting you 40 points yeah it's great everyone wants kevin durant but you have fred van vliet who can get you 20 og is proven get you 20 pascal's proven he can get you 20 fred van vliet's proven i'm sorry um gary Trent's proven he can get you 20 and if scotty barnes can just be the orchestrator and if they bring in a player like mo bamba in this case of just he's their defensive linchpin and that guy who can stretch the floor and hit timely threes and hit timely jumps, like we talked about with Russell Westbrook, like that right there makes such a difference that you have the scoring punch to match up with this tremendous defense. That would be insane to me. No, I, I think I like I like the way you're talking. I like the way you're thinking. Maybe they should get you in the front office with Masai. I'm with that it, sounds, man. I'm down. Nah, that's Time me up, good. man. I'll be in Toronto tomorrow. <laughs> no, nah, I like that, man. Hopefully, we'll see. We'll see how they do. Uh, where, where, where are your Cavs right now? Are they in sixth place? Cavs are in sixth, and injuries have definitely uh, taken a taken a hit. But I'm excited. I'm kind of in the same boat as you from a from a perspective of being realistic. Like, I'm not out here saying like, "Oh man, Cavs are making a finals run. Like, this is our year." Like, slow, slow the roll here. Like, our entire starting lineup is like under the age of 25. Like, let's just, let's just chill. Like Darius Garland's 21, just turned 22. Jared Allen's 23. Evan Mobley is just turned 20. Isaac Okoro's 22. Like you have Laurie Markin and you have Chetty Osmond on the bench. You have, you just brought in Karis Levert. Like 
the amount of talent on this team that's also locked up long-term, plus the salaries that we're going to lose from eventually losing Kevin Love. We traded away Ricky Rubio's contract. Like we have all this money that we're going to be able to play with, plus all this young talent that's just going to get better year in and year out. If Isaac Okoro, who's arguably one of the best wing defenders and one of the guard defenders in the league, he's up there with Matisse Thibel based on percentages, based on defensive rating, he's the perfect number two guard next to Darius Garland, who has proven he can be an offensive engine and a 20 and 10 player, no doubt about it. Plus, there's still the X factor of we could re-sign Colin Sexton and put him in the sixth man role. That would be insane of the offense. Karis Levert of the small forward. You have Laurie Markin and like this offseason can go in so many different ways that it's just exciting because from a player development perspective, I love JB Bakerstaff. I love what Kobe Allman's done of just saying like, we don't have to swing for the fences, build the draft. You have the twin towers. They have, you want to talk about zagging, starting three fucking seven butters. Uh, Larry, Larry Market is playing small forward right now, which is absurd, but it's working. Yeah. JB Bakerstaff is just playing puppeteer, playing puppet master, and it's working. And I think when you get down to it of the player options of proving that Jared Allen and Evan Mobley can play together for four or five years. And Evan Mobley is going to be our Scotty Barnes of mm-hmm. he's only getting better. But Evan Mobley is obviously like no offense to Scotty Barnes. Evan Mobley is just better. He's just, he uh-huh. just is. He is, he, he has all NBA potential right now. He is mm-hmm. making that kind of impact. And then all of a sudden with Jared Allen out, he's now playing center. He's locking down bigger men, but also dropping 30 on them. That turnaround in the, in the post is absurd. The man looks like a, a more steady Anthony Davis at, at 20 years old. And he's guarding perimeter guys too. Like he could switch on to like this guy's a freak, man. He's, a he's freak blocking Trey Young on a one-three-one zone. It's it's like it's an, it, there's literally nothing he can't do. And it's crazy. Like when I hear like Cade Cunningham, for example, going off for like twenty-five points, and Pistons fans are like, "How is this guy not rookie of the year?" I don't understand. It's like it's not based on points, guys. Like let's just take a deep breath real quick. Evan Mobley has one of the best defensive ratings in the entire NBA as a rookie rookie, any scoring points like yes Kate Cunningham is you know playing better on the offensive end in this in this point he is not even sniffing what Evan Mobley is doing on the defensive end let's not pretend that so I think from that perspective I'm super excited to see what this offseason brings for the Cavaliers and then that's another year of Darius Garland getting better another year of a core on the offensive end Jared Allen was an all-star Evan Mobley looks like an all NBA player. So that's right there. You know, is Larry Markin on the answer at small forward? No, but he's okay for right now. Karis Levert as a sixth man, small forward option. Like it just gives you different looks and they're all so young. Like only Kevin loves the only dude over 30. Yeah. Whatever happens, happens. I'm excited. I think it's a great time to be a Cavaliers fan. Hop on the bandwagon. Everybody we're going to the chip. I got I, I want to stop you right there. I got a question for you. If LeBron comes back, do you guys win the chip? Fuck yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's not even a question. You're telling me I got to swap out Lowry marketing for LeBron James. I can, listen, I was the biggest hater of all time. My friends can attest to you. I burned. I was one of the guys. I oh, went yeah. down by the hell uh, yeah. I burned that jersey. And I'll tell you within the next two weeks, I bought a Miami Heat LeBron jersey. I did it. I did it. I'm a hater. It's who I am. Uh-huh. I'm a fake hater, but like, I'm not dumb. You're telling me I got to add LeBron James. Hell yeah. I'll keep going back to the X. Bring it on LeBron. Come through. 
hit the line. We got to throw up. Who, find me an NBA lineup right now, real quick. Darius Garland, Okoro. Uh, switch out Okoro, Karis LeVert. I don't care what you want to do. LeBron, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen. Find, find me an NBA team that is going to compete with that team offensively or defensively. No, it's going to be tough to score on that team. Then you got Physically LeBron. Impossible. You got LeBron, Garland, you know, playmaking, making plays. You got Mobley, too, in the post, making plays for guys. Yeah, no, that I, – and, and I think it's – Just thinking about it. Um, is it like financially? Is that a possibility for you guys in a couple of years? And when LeBron come, becomes a free agent, can you can you get him? Because I mean, he did absolutely. say he said, "Don't rule it." You know, don't rule it out. Me returning to Cleveland. That's awesome. I mean, I think it's all talk, honestly. But realistically, Kevin Love's contract is off the books as soon as LeBron's contract is off yeah. in LA. So that's thirty million dollars right there. Yo, honestly, I've seen crazier things happen in the nba kevin durant went to golden state lebron went to miami came back to cleveland i wouldn't be surprised if you yeah if you went back to cleveland. i mean at that point jared allen's already locked in his contract mobley wouldn't even have his extension he wouldn't even have signed his extension at that point because of how it is garland would be the only player on a max like we would have so much money like the potential in cleveland's crazy so to even bring in like a 39 year old lebron who's it's still going to be like a 25, 7, and 7 player. Like, it doesn't matter. I don't care how old he is. Like, man's yeah. Tom Brady. Like, yeah. come aboard. Like, let's go. Bring it on. Sign me up. The crazy thing would be, I think that would be his best team in Cleveland. Like, if he joins this current iteration of the Cavs, I think that would be better than, you know, the 2016 Cavs. Oh, or the, or the not even close. Cavs. Not even close. As long as Tristan Thompson is not playing center, not even close. <laughs> yeah, no. I, future <laughs> Sorry, to, right, sorry right. to hate on. Canadian Tristan Thompson. My apologies. <laughs> hey man, he he did when you got he did when you guys are chipping. He was good in that 2016 series. Getting those boards, offensive boards. He was defending Steph Curry on the perimeter, but LeBron gave him LeBron got him a good contract. Now you know he's a journeyman. LeBron got him a goddamn bag. Five five yeah. mil eighty. If you want if you want to get paid, play with LeBron James. That's yeah. it. It's, it's all you gotta do. That that's you know one thing. One thing about LeBron that maybe hurts him is, is you know, the GM, you know, some of the decision-making, you know, signing those guys long-term after winning the chip, maybe that wasn't the best move. But either way, I think if Kevin Durant doesn't go to Golden State, they three-peat, you know, they yeah. have team wins multiple championships. So It's tough. There's so many what-ifs, but it's crazy. I mean, it's a great time to be a Raptors fan. It's a great time to be a Cavs fan, building through the draft, building through the team. So a lot of young players, a lot of good – got a lot of good stuff to look forward to, so I'm hyped. But kind of finishing off this this episode, I mean, we kind of test each other with, you know, the future of the league. We talked about that. So we're going to go five to one. We're going to rank our best players under the age of 25. So starting at five, who do you have at five for you? Oh, actually, actually, first of all, I, let me rephrase that. Who do you have not on your list that you maybe want to give an honorable mention? OK, so, yeah, I was going to I was going to mention this. Um this guy would be on my list, but because of health and injuries, um, I'm going to keep him off my list. But I think Zion Williamson would have been yeah. on my list if it weren't for, uh, you know, his unfortunate health situation. But definitely, you know, he might he might have came back this year and would have been number one on my list, maybe depending <laughs> on how he played. So that's how good Zion is. But because of his health, he's not on my list. What about you? Sounds crazy. I mean, legitimately, yeah, Zion could definitely be. It's at number one, number two, just based on what he is. I mean, he he flashed, I mean, just pure intangibles at 20 years old, 27 and eight and four, just 
with ease, shooting almost 60% from the floor. It's absolutely disgusting. So I think once he gets his mental right and once he gets his physical body right, like he's he's going to shoot these rankings so easy. Uh, the two players real quick, I think they kind of go hand in hand and they're going to be fighting for all-star starter guard for a long time. That's LaMelo and Darius Garland. I think that just they're going to go – they're going to be fighting for a long time. That's going to be such a cool battle to watch as well as just who's going to who's going to be that guy, who's going to be that rank up of – the upper echelon of the young guards in the East. And those two, while different play styles, Lamel's more the flashy playmaker, kind of a you know longer and more athletic, definitely a better defender. Um, Garland is that super shifty in your face. Like, I don't care if you're seven foot or six foot in front of me, like I'm going to do that step back, that high shot. His, he's one of the best shooters in the NBA off the dribble. I think you, I immediately look at that Dame Lillard comparison just from a, just from a, just from a dribble shooting perspective, I'm not saying he's Dame Lillard. I'm just saying like, his shot off the dribble is so quick, and that step back just it pictures Dame Lillard. So I think that they deserve to be acknowledged. I think that defense keeps them off this list, but mm-hmm. I think that they need to be we'll, we'll shout out real quick. All right, so I'll, I'll go first with my number five. Uh, I think you're going to like this one. I went with the rookie. I went with Evan Mobley at number five just for some of the reasons that uh, you mentioned before, like, offensively and defensively I I love two-way players if you can impact um, basketball on both ends you know unfortunately not everybody not all great players are two-way players but I think they got the Cleveland got a special one in, in, in Evan Mobley I think his versatility defensively like we mentioned he's able to switch out on the perimeter he can guard bigs I got Evan Mobley at number five uh, that's kind of creepy um, I also have Mobley at number five um, <laughs> So another player that I actually wanted to mention. Um, so I'm I'm huge on two-way game. I think it's massively important. I've been out here stated that I would take Jimmy Butler over James Harden just based on the fact of a two-way game. I think I think that it's just so important. I think that yes, James Harden is an incredible offensive player, but if he's not giving it to you on offense and he's doing what he did like against the Nets, what is he's giving you nothing on defense? He's giving just he is he's a negative 34 in that game, like he did. So yeah. I need a two-way player, and I think Trey Young for being how offensively gifted he's it. I don't have him on this list. Mm-hmm. I don't at all. I think that he's an offensive magician. He's incredible, but he is arguably the worst defender in the NBA. And yeah. you, you can't win with that. I think I saw a stat the other day of uh, the Hawks are the worst defensive team. When Trey young is on the floor, they are the fourth best defense when he is off the floor. That, yeah. that can't go unnoticed. Like mm-hmm. he is so good and that's great. He can put up 47 and 14, but when he is getting cooked over and over and over on the defensive end, if he is not scoring for you or if he's inefficient on offense, you're, you're guaranteed losing. And I think that I can't honestly put him on this top five with how bad he is defensively. So for me, I do have Evan Mobley. Um, I thought about honestly putting him at four, but I think mm-hmm. it's just a little bit too soon. I have another big man ahead of him that I do feel like has, earned the keep of being over him right now okay um one thing i want to say real quick i think defense is definitely extremely underrated in the nba i think it's always i, I was watching jj reddick's podcast the other day he had patrick beverly on and they were just talking about like defensive players just don't get the same love that an offensive star would get and 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 that translates to you know the contracts that they get and, you know, Patrick Beverly was really, you know, pushing, saying that the defensive impact that players like himself and others have on winning the game, like, goes severely unnoticed, Absolutely. especially, like, in highlights with fans, like, even up to front offices don't really see 
the impact that defensive players have and offensive players get all the love. So defense is definitely um, underrated, but transitioning off you not keeping Trey on your list, I actually have Trey at number four, even after all the things I just said about defense. <laughs> that, being said, that being said, all the things I said about defense, I think if you're so good offensively, I think you can make up for, you know, your lack of defense and Trey Young's ability to control and dominate a game on the offensive end is just ridiculous. I think, you know, him, it's such a hard decision for defenses to make when guarding him. When he comes off that pick and roll, his, I think he has the best floater of all time. Like he can knock down floaters from like so far outside the paint, like defenses, he just picks, picks them apart. They don't know whether to step up and, you know, try and block his, his floater or he just, you know, lobs it off to Capella, dumps it off to Capella. Like they really killed Joel Embiid and the 76ers in the playoffs yeah. last year. And um, just another bonus point to Trey, just that run to the conference finals. I think you got to give him a little bit of love. I th- They were right there in the series with Milwaukee too, before he got hurt. So um, I got Trey Young at number four. No, I mean, like, I like Trey. I, I think Trey's a Hall of Famer. Like, it, trending toward that just based on his offensive game. The stacks he's going to put up. But think I look at it from this perspective. Like, he is putting up 30 points and 10 assists per game. And he's done it for two seasons now. And he hasn't made it all NBA. He hasn't made it all NBA team. So it's like, yes, he made it to an Eastern Conference Finals. If Ben Simmons shoots the ball in the fourth quarter, do they even make it to a game six? there's a lot of factors that go along with that. And I think that you take the opportunity, but I think that Hawks conference finals run is very fluky to the one that the Portland trailblazers went on a couple years ago when they magically made it to the Western conference. And it was like, how did they do that? And it's like, it just kind of happened. So for me, I look at Trey and I look at it like this in a high level playoff performance as the talent constantly gets better. That's where we're at. We keep talking about it. The talent pool is just going to continue to churn up and continue to get better. You are playing four on five on defense day in and day out. You can't hide Trey Young in the playoffs. You just can't. I'm going to put him, if I'm an NBA team, if I'm the Celtics, I'm putting Derek White, whoever's Trey's guarding, I'm taking him and I'm putting him in a screen and roll over and over and over and over and over until he literally has to get benched. And I look at it like, when you're so far on one spectrum, look at Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert is so far on the defensive spectrum because he can't dominate on the offensive end, which is insane to me, by the way, for how large he is. He can't dominate down low. He won't do it. He just can't. And the Clippers just guarded him with Marcus Morris and said, like, well, we're going to go five wide and we're going to attack your weaknesses to the point that a $200 million player got benched in the playoffs in the first round. Shout out the Clippers. Um, I hate Rudy Gobert. Uh, <laughs> like, how can you – I like, I can't personally sit there and put Trey Young. He is so incredible on offense. But if when I'm talking about an overall how you're going to impact the game, if your offensive impact is here, but your defensive impact is here, you're in the middle. And it's just – it's tough for me to put that person there. So, for me, my four is Bam Adebayo. And okay. I think he doesn't get enough love because I think people kind of forgot what he did in 2020 and people kind of look at that bubble year of like, Oh, it doesn't count. Like Bam at a bio was a legit 20.10 rebound, five assist type player. Like he is a two time all NBA defender. Like he is 
a lockdown, arguably a top three big man defender in the NBA at his size of 6'9", 260, absolutely jacked. He brings the ball up on fast breaks. Like they look yeah. for him. They look for Jimmy Butler. They look for Kyle Lowry. Like they look for a center to bring out the ball and initiate almost as if like he's that dream on green role, like that guy who's initiating offense. They have him running screening roles with Jimmy Butler as the screener. So I love that, that offensive versatility. And I would love for Evan Mobley to kind of start to feed off that. So from watching that as a Cavs fan, I have to respect what Bam has already done. And I have to put him above Evan Mobley and hope that Mobley grows into that mold and gets more offensively inclined as that initiator, that playmaker. So I think that I, I love what Bam has been able to do. Uh, with Bam, I feel like offensively, he's not on the same level as he wouldn't be on the same level as the other guys on this list. But Correct. when you when you talk about like kind of like your how you uh, weigh things, and I mean, defensively, he's up here, but I wouldn't say that his offense is so bad that it brings him up here. So I, I would say I, I like Bam, but I think in the series against the Bucks last year, he did kind of get exposed like the Bucks defense kind of um just let him shoot mid-range jumpers which he wasn't yeah. able to come down Mm-mm. I haven't watched Bam too much this year I don't know if that's you know something that he worked on in the offseason and if he's now making those same type of shots but I would love to see um Bam make that improvement offensively and see how he does in this year's playoffs I think he really he really hasn't I think what they what Spo has done he's he's pushing him into that screen and roller and that's oh. the biggest thing for him. They're not putting him and saying, hey, like you were taking jump shots. Like you're not a jump shooter. You're not there yet. Yeah. Like, don't do that. Mm-hmm. We're going to put you in screen roll situations as a screener, but also as a ball handler. So if they're going to put Brooke Lopez on him and say, yeah. hey, put Brooke Lopez as the guy getting screened. Mm-hmm. Brooke Lopez has always been the guy, you know, hedging the screen and coming off. So now you're putting Brooke in a completely different situation. You're putting Giannis in a completely different situation of now they're getting screened. How are they going to react? And Bam has such a high basketball IQ. I'm interested to see how they do that moving forward. So almost like zagging away instead of like, oh, Bam, just working your jump shot. It's like, well, actually, well, what if we do this? So it's an interesting mm-hmm. counter to that to see uh-huh. how they react in a Buck series. And that'd be dope. So you're saying that they've changed the way that he's going to play offensively pretty much instead of trying to improve on, you know, that specific area, they're making it so that he doesn't even really need to be, you know, mm-hmm. a great shooter. Uh, Especially you, when, when you have, sorry, no, you got Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Markeith Morris coming back. Jimmy Butler obviously is not a three-point shooter. We see that from his 18% three-point shooting, which is insane. But Jimmy Butler is a 38% mid-range shooter. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Butler is a great mid-range shooter for what he can do. So he's at least going to stretch the floor that way. So there, Gabe Vincent's a great three-point shooter. You have guys that are going to shoot the ball around Bam. So they're putting him in a position to where, okay, we can go four wide and let Bam control the center. So I think that's interesting. That's why. So one of the ways I look at these lists and how I determine who are the best players, is this someone that I can build my team around and, you know, have success with, do you think that you could build your team around Bam or do you think he's more of a, a complimentary or a number two guy than a number one guy? Like Bam's our best player. We can build with him. Cause I want to challenge you here because I feel like Trey, you can say that with Trey, but I'm not sure that you can say that with Bam. I think Trey has to get credit for being the number one option and being able to win as the number one option in the playoffs. But as good as Bam is in his role, maybe maybe in his role, 
you know, he, he's, he's so great, but is that fair to say that someone who's great in a lesser role is, be is better than someone in a, in a greater role? That's my question for you. I'm going to devil's advocate you with your own saying. Um, okay. How, if you're saying that, okay, defense is so important and everything mm -hmm. like this, mm -hmm. and BAM is proving, so why does it have to be about offense? So you're saying that how can you build the team around BAM offensively? Mm -hmm. Well, why can't you build around BAM defensively? Like, I can, I think BAM is an all star, BAM's an all NBA player. And yes, he doesn't get the recognition because he's not Joel Embiid or he's not Nikola Jokic, but not many players are. Mm -hmm. I think that you're only as strong as your weakest link. It's a common saying. So Trey Young is the worst defender in the NBA. So that means in order to balance that out, Trey Young has to be the best offensive player in the NBA just to get average production, just based on the law of averages. Yeah. So for Bam Adebayo, if he is a top, all a proven all NBA player, but also he is a credited great offensive player. Now he may not be the number one off option on offense. He can be a legit second option or an incredible third option a la a Chris Bosh on offense, but he's going to anchor your team on defense. So mm -hmm. if you're getting a top three option on offense and a number one option on defense, to me, I'm taking that 10 times out of 10 over a by far number one option on offense, but a number 10 option on defense. Where, he, where he's better off the floor. I can't have my best player be better off the floor. Do you think there's a scenario where the Hawks can build a perfect team around Trey to make up for those deficiencies? I mean, uh, Steph Curry is not, uh, Steph Curry is a much improved defensive mm -hmm. player, but I think early in his career, he was a liability on defense. But, you know, you got Klay Thompson, Andre Iguodala, Draymond Green, and Andrew Bogan, mm -hmm. all great defenders, and you can make it work. So if Trey has the perfect team around him built to, you know, make up for his deficiencies, um, I think I think he could be really something special. And he's not the first great player to not be a great defensive player. I think throughout history, you can look back and see that there's players who who weren't who are great offensive players, not necessarily great defensive players, but teams were able to make it work by building the right team around around them. So. What do you but think? how many of those players have won titles? You see, <laughs> when, and, when I, when I, yeah. Sorry, and that's the thing. So mm -hmm. for Trey, you can build a team around Trey. That's great. You can put up gaudy stats around Trey. That's great. Trey's not going to win a ring because mm -hmm. at a certain point in the first round, you're going to get tape on Trey of how to beat him. He, okay. He could get past the first round in the second round. You can get tape on Trey of how to beat him. And if that team can't do it, the competition only gets better and better and better. At some point, if Trey ever makes it to an NBA Finals, I don't even think he's going to make it to the NBA Finals just because of that's just how bad of a defender is. I look at the team that – let's go back to that Eastern Conference team. So let's let's talk about Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, John Collins, Capella, you know, whoever – Bogdanovich, whoever you want to kind of throw in there, where it's just really up to you. They're, those are all great defenders. Capella was a all-NBA defender. He didn't really get a lot of credit that year. The man was incredible. He was, he was an anchor of that defense. John Collins, in his own right, is a good defender. I wouldn't say he's a great defender, but he's a good defender. DeAndre Hunter's incredible, but he was also kind of hurt that year. He really didn't make that much of an impact. Reddish was okay. So you're, you got a lot of stepped up. You know, Kevin Herter stepped up a lot on offense in that series. I think he dropped like 27 in game seven. Trey really didn't have that great of a game seven. Herter stepped up a lot in that series. So Trey, on defense, 
the the Sixers lost that series more than, in my opinion, the Hawks won it. Obviously, you have to give credit to the Hawks because they won the game, obviously. But it in an NBA Finals or Eastern Conference Finals, you're going to dog Trey Young. That team, you can't hide him because even if you have four great defenders around him, for example, switch Trey Young onto that Raptors team. And let's put Trey Young instead of Kyle mm. Lowry, for example. Mm. Let's just let's just do that. Mm. They lose ten times out of ten because now who's Trey guarding? Is Trey guarding Steph Curry? No. Can't Is guard Trey him. guarding Clay Thompson? He's guarding nobody. So they're gonna they're going to destroy him, and that completely changes that identity of that Raptors team. And that's what Trey Young does. He changes in a clear identity because he is legitimately one of the worst defenders in the NBA. And while he's a magical talent on offense, I don't want to discredit him in any way, shape, or form, but because he's so, so, you can't hide him. You can't do it. And because he's so bad defensively, I don't want that type of player on my team because it makes you too obvious. It It's, you just can't do it. It's very similar to like, you go back in history. I like, kind of like what you said about like, yeah, there have always been great offensive players surrounded by defense. They just don't win. Mm-hmm. And that's the tough part. Like Trey Young can be a Hall of Famer. He can have all these great, great accolades. He's just not going to win a ring. Do you think, now my question is, do you, was your opinion the same a year ago when they were playing well? Would you say that your opinion is also kind of based off of, you know, the team success now? If they were playing well, and a contender, would you have the same concerns? And going forward, if you see Atlanta being successful, do you think that it will be like? Do you think it's possible to change your mind that the Hawks can win with Trey Young, do, or do you, think don't, that, you don't see that happening? I think that history just speaks for itself. I'm like, find me a small offensive guard that has won a title. I mean, you go back to Isaiah Thomas with the Pistons. Isaiah Thomas was six foot or 5'11", however small he was, in the most physical, quote-unquote, physical era of the NBA. The man was a defensive dog. Chris Paul, six foot, 175, soaking wet. The dude was a defensive dog because he is just built differently. Isaiah Thomas was built differently. Trey Young is not built that way at all in any way, shape, or form. Steph Curry, yes, he was a liability early, but he got himself to the point where he knew he had to step up to where he couldn't get picked apart. And now he is a completely average defender, which if you're giving me one of the best offensive talents in the NBA with an average NBA defense, I mean, it speaks for itself. So for that, there isn't a way until Trey gets out of the bottom of defensive ratings, defensive rankings, and where he is, there's there's nobody that you can put around him. You can give me DeAndre Hunter. You can give me Clint Capella. You can get rid of John Collins. You could have brought in Ben Simmons. It just doesn't matter because as long as he's on that team and as long as he's this bad defensively, it's just it's it's impossible. That's why I, I look back to those Boston Celtics teams with Isaiah Thomas when Isaiah Thomas was putting up gaudy stats and he was you know fourth in the MVP voting and he was that feel good story. Yeah in the playoffs because Isaiah Thomas is 5'9 guarding Kyrie Irving like what do we think is going to happen it's not like we're not, like it's not Isaiah Thomas is playing in the Seattle Pro-Am dropping 72 like this is the NBA dog it's different like you can't do that yeah so do you think Trey Young can improve his defense or do you think he's just limited because of his size and stature that he won't ever be an average defender 
I think he has to give up some offense to do it. I think he has to bulk up. He has to get bigger. He's, he's six foot 164. He has to put on 10, 15 pounds. He has to work on his lateral quickness. He has to work on not getting overmatched by every single matchup. He has to be able to match up with at least somebody physically on a guard perspective, because if he can't do that, then what was the point of you're dropping 30 and 10? Like you're giving up 30 and 10. So you're, right in the smack down in the middle again so i think for trey he has to improve he has to get bigger he has to get stronger and you see players like chris paul and isaiah thomas in the past that have proven that you can succeed at this size but red he's van just me and van fleet van fleet is a average defender he's there physically he's a bit he's a stocky point guard for his size but he's also quick he's got a tight handle he you know maybe isn't trey young offensively but I'd rather have Fred than Trey Young, and I'm sure a lot of people are calling me crazy. But I, you can—you've proven that you can win a title around Fred Van Vliet at the two guard. Now he's at the point guard position, guarding players that are actually his size. I'm cool with that. I'll take that all day. Yeah. So, do you think now? Final question on this Trey Young thing: Do you think that he will or he won't improve his defense? I think, think he won't. You think he won't, and that's I why think he won't. won't. And that's why you don't think he's a top five player. No, I, 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 I can't, I can't do it. I can't. I gotta, gotta be consistent. I gotta stay yeah. to my morals. Yeah. I think that as long as Trey Young is making the kind of money that he's making, and it's, it's the same exact situation that I say for Rudy Gobert. Contracts weigh into it. I'm not saying Rudy Gobert can't win a title. I'm not saying Trey Young can't win a title ever in their careers. But as long as they're starters, making starter money, being heavily invested, thirty plus minutes in a game. They're not winning a title. They're, they're just too far end of the spectrum to where they don't give you enough on the other side and they can get worked off the floor so easily because they just, you attack their weaknesses until they physically have no answer and they have to get pulled. And that's, I can't give a player $200 million like I am Trey, like I am in Rudy Gobert and expecting a championship because you just can't do it. And that's why Ben Simmons, you know, was essentially forced out of Philly to a certain extent because he, became too much of the one side of the spectrum and you saw it in that philly atlanta series like philly should have had that series done and wrapped in five or six games yeah but ben simmons didn't shoot the ball in four straight games in the fourth quarter and they collapsed so if he even remotely shoots the ball in the offense we're not even having this trade end discussion you know what i mean yeah i think i feel like for the next three picks i'm guessing that we're gonna i think we're gonna have the same pick i feel like we had I certainly hope so. I, I feel like we had the bulk of our disagreements for, for five and four, but I think we're going to have the same ones. But at number three, I have John Morant. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, so pretty much, so I, I, I can pretty much say for all the listeners out there, the next three players are going to be John Morant, Jason Tatum, Luka Doncic. I mean, right. it's, 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 it is what it is. Those are the three. Right. There's no way that it can't be those three. Cause if it's not, we got some problems. Like there's just no way. Um, that's interesting to me because I think that I can make the argument for Ja that he would be number one Wow! because I've had this conversation before. So I got Tatum at three. So I okay. think that Tatum's incredible. I think that it's kind of in that, that conversation we had before of you can make a case for all of them. Yeah. Personally, There's I think that answer here at this point, there isn't. Yeah. And I think if you want to give it to Tatum, because he is the only one out of those three that actually has playoff success. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, probably the coolest part about him is that he has gone toe to toe at 19 years old with LeBron James. And that to me is so dope to watch of his evolution. But 
he told it with Durant last year. Yes. But for me, he's the only one that actually has regressed in, a, in his career. So you look at Luca, you look at Ja, and they have been on skyrocketing. And obviously, Ja has taken a completely different level this year. But early on in his career, Tatum was kind of just trying to figure out what he was. And he didn't, he tried to, you know, be a little bit more of a playmaker. He tried to be a little more of a jump shooter. You saw him settle a lot for those fadeaway twos, which was just uh, literally the worst shot in basketball. Kobe fadeaways. The Kobe fadeaway. And like, obviously he loves Kobe. But yeah. I think that this year you're really starting to see him settle in as like, I'm the guy. Yeah. Jalen Brown is also accepting it as well. And I think that's why they have shown so much success. And like, I think Jalen Brown can be, he's accepted he's Robin, but yeah. he's also a Robin getting 25 points per game. So he's cool with it. But yeah. Tatum, the thing that, puts me right he's like one c for me would be john morant is playing at a premier position point guard okay luka Doncic is yes he's a small forward he's a point forward so those are premier positions and they are dominating john morant is it does not matter who he's going up against Chris Paul, Steph Curry, any of these premier point guards. And you could argue that John Morant's the best point guard in the league right now. Luka Doncic is putting up, I mean, what, 28, 9, and 8 over the past three years consecutively. And he almost single-handedly took out those Clippers with Kawhi and Paul George, like solo dolo. So I think for him, when we talk about kind of like what you said, of like who do you want to build your team around, I'm not saying Tatum is, you know, worse by any sense. But just because of that premier position of a lead ball handler who is going to make his team better, Tatum may be the best "quote unquote" scorer of the of the three. But we're talking about who's going to make my team better. Give me Morant or Luka Doncic. Fair enough. I can't I can't argue with that. I would say I put Shaw third. I think um, he's had a phenomenal phenomenal breakout season this year. But just in terms of uh, what I've seen. Uh, from their careers up to date, I had to yeah. give the other two guys uh, a little more of a, an edge because they've had a more, I would say, somewhat more success than John Morant has had. Absolutely. Um, as you mentioned, Tatum, he went toe-to-toe with LeBron, toe-to-toe with Kevin Durant. I think those are really good lessons for mm-hmm. someone like Jason Tatum. It, it doesn't get better than that, LeBron James and Kevin Durant, to go up against those guys in a seven-game series. So, and he's made it to two Eastern Conference Finals in his career already. And he's it's not crazy even, experience. Not even 25. So he has the most experience. I think also he's also the best defender of the bunch. Yeah. Um, also, I like his size over Jaw as well. But mm-hmm. um, just I would say more so just off of uh, success is kind of why Tatum's more proven to me than Jaw. I think Jaw deserves all the love he's getting this year. But I think when it comes to the NBA and the media, they love the shiny new toy. They love hyping up, you know, yep. I think I like it kind of like last year was Trey young. He's all, oh, he's in the conference finals. Da, 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 da. Now nobody cares about him because his team's bad. I think Literally. if jaw, if jaw, you know, great season, but if he flames out in the playoffs first round, maybe they get a bad matchup and he loses. Oh, you know, John Morant's not as good as we thought. Yeah. It's yesterday's news. Exactly. So things change so quickly in the NBA. I think, Again, when you talk about these young player lists, it's hard. There's no right answer because we need more of a sample size. These discussions, like these answers will be made for us as we see these guys, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years in their career. You can have serious discussions about who's the best player. Um, I think, but I think we have to have Luca at number one. 
for sure because he's just like he's clearly uh he's a once in a generational player i think i think his numbers like his his rookie and sophomore year numbers like he has better stats than lebron james and lebron james was like yeah. a template template for like best uh players coming into the league best stats you know uh coming into the league and luka has like better stats than lebron james in the mm-hmm. first i think what luka's in his third season fourth season he's his fourth yeah, fourth season now. So he has better numbers than uh, LeBron, like in the first three or four seasons. Mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty crazy when you're comparing somebody to LeBron. Um, and Luca, if he doesn't go up against the Clippers, who are probably like the best, have the two best two-way guys in the league, he probably, you know, makes it past the first round, maybe even goes to the conference finals. And because there's no Kawhi and PG this year, I think he can make, and I said, I made a video on TikTok. I have the Mavericks as a dark horse to make the NBA finals. I think realistically, I think they could make the NBA finals this year. There's no Clippers. Uh, Chris Paul banged up. The Warriors, Draymond's back now. They're figuring it out. But why can't Luka make it to the NBA finals if he goes crazy? Jason Kidd has that Mavs defense uh, rolling. Um, you got to go with Luka at number one, though. Obviously, he's not as good as Tatum defensively. Um, but, and I think... Jaws a little bit better than him too, but you got to go, Luca. He's got the talent, man. What triple double threat every night? No, I mean, I I, I definitely agree that Luca's better right now. And I I was talking about this um the other day of who would I build my team around if I were to like take Luca or Ja? I would take Ja just because. And like maybe I'm drinking the Kool Aid and I'm over here like you know hyping him up, but I think that the defense is such a big factor in, in Ja's athleticism. And his speed and his body, yeah, he's only 6'3", a buck 75, but he plays so much bigger than that. And he is out here guarding premier point guards. Luca, you see him, yeah, he's switching on to LeBron and taking those offensive matchups, but he is, he's probably the worst defender of the three. Physically, he looks a little bit overweight. He looks slow laterally, and he puts up great gaudy stats, but his usage is by far the highest out of these three. He is doing all these things, and I think that, for a player like Ja and what he does on a two-way impact, but also just the electricity that he brings from a leadership perspective, those intangibles that you just can't talk about and mm. how he's changed the culture in Memphis and what he's done. And very similar to did Tatum do that in Boston or did it kind of just happen? Like when they went to those conference titles, I mean, those conference um, finals, they had Kyrie, they had Al Horford, they had Tatum, they had Brown, you know, they had Isaiah Thomas. It was, it was more than just, Tatum wasn't the guy doing that. Yes, he has the experience of it, which will always benefit him. But mm-hmm. since he's been the guy, they haven't made it out of the first round. So mm-hmm. I think it's tough to kind of, you know, put Tatum on that pedestal for me right now until he is the one that does it. And I think so right now from a career arc standpoint, they're actually all kind of in the same spot. Yeah. None of them has got none of them got out of the first round by being that number one option. So I think this year is really going to separate them of saying, who's going to take the torch? Mm-hmm. I think... Um, but I would, I would, I would say Tatum was the guy in the bubble. Wouldn't you say he was the guy in the bubble for the, yeah, they lost in the first round? No, they made it to the conference finals against, um, the heat that year in 2020. Remember they had the seven game series against crazy? the Raptors in the bubble, seven game series. They beat the Raptors in seven oh, and fuck, that's right. the conference finals. Right. Yeah. 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 So I, I mean, but again, like 
I think people tend to also overrate players based off of, you know, a one year run or I don't like to say, oh, this guy's better because he's been to the conference finals and he hasn't. For sure. you know, but, but it's definitely something that you it plays a factor. Much. No, it, it, it's, it's added experience that you can't yeah. like you can't make that up in practice. You can't, you know, do practice reps and watch film on that. Like yeah. you have to live it. You have to go through yeah. those moments. So Tatum has Tatum has yeah. by far more experience than anybody. But there's something about. I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe it's the media, maybe it's something, but there's something about John Moran, what he's able to do and how he has completely reinvented his game by adding a jump shot. Yeah. And he's shooting a better percentage than Luka Doncic. Now he doesn't have the volume that Luka shoots. Luka obviously shoots like eight, nine threes a game. John Moran's only shooting like four, but he's hitting him at a 35% clip. And if John Moran can slowly increase his volume by shooting five threes a game and hitting one and a half to two threes a game, and doing that while also he's shooting 50% from the field by attacking the basket. If he extends his range, which he's proven that he's done in all three years so far, that he's only going to get better. Plus on the defensive end, I think with Ja, he, I don't know, there's something about him from just what he's able to do to attack a defense. I'm not saying Lucas predictable or any way, or that Jason Tatum is predictable in any way, but they're two jump shot reliant players mm-hmm. while John ja Morant creates from attacking penetration, there's not a single player that can stay in front of him. There's yeah. in any way, shape, or form. He is a Derrick Rose clone that will get in the paint, attack, and dribble drive. And they have the perfect team around him: Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson, Dylan Brooks, and all these guys that can shoot, but also play scrappy defense. That you know can Tatum and Luca evolve to be those guys that will attack the basket, get in the paint, and make those transitions to being more of a playmaker like Tatum. Can Tatum average five, six assists in a season? That's that hasn't been seen yet. Obviously, Luke can do that, but he also takes the second most step back jump shots in the league behind James Harden. So it's like you see how his offensive game, I don't want to say that he's predictable, but he can fall into a lot of jump shot happy routines. So for Luca, and it's tough to you know rag on any of these guys, they're obviously all incredible. But That's I would amazing. personally if I'm going to build an overall team, I definitely think Luca's the best right now. I think that's pretty much non-negotiable. I think we're all, we're all there, but from a team building perspective, if I'm going to pick one of these three of who I want to build my roster around, I'm probably taking job. I like how you've been consistent with the offense and defense thing. Kept it consistent. I have to be. But I think, what do you think about this? If jaw, I think jaw has the best supporting cast at, at least, Maybe Tatum, you can argue Tatum's is better, but in comparison to Luca, Jaws mm-hmm. playing with Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks. He's got Tyus Jones coming off the bench, DeAnthony Melton. He's got a squad there. Yeah. So, would you not give Luca an edge because he's not playing with as good of a team? I think it's all perspective because you got to look at it like, okay, can Ja, if you give Ja Luca's usage rate and what he's able to do, can you Ja put Ja-, up- ja- do you think he could though? I think absolutely because you got to look and have them in the playoffs too. Absolutely, because you got to look at it because now one they wouldn't make that trade, so it's all perspective. So for example, if you put John Moran on that team, I think they keep Kristaps, and now all of a sudden now you have a pick and roll of John Moran and Kristaps Porzingis. You have a legit seven foot three anchor. You have a guy like Dwight Powell. You have Tim Hardaway Jr. You have Dorian Finney-Smith, and I think that from a team perspective, that's a very similar build to what he's got rocking in Memphis. So I think that from a perspective that I think Ja would have very similar success to what he has in Memphis. I don't think Luca would do the same playing in Memphis because now you drop that down and now he's a weak link on defense. And I'm not saying he's a Trey Young 
weak mm-hmm. link in any way, shape, or form. But now it's like, okay, so where does he fit in? Because now you have, you know, is Desmond Bain guarding point guards? Like they don't have any speed now. You know, mm-hmm. is Dylan Brooks guarding point guards? Is Luca guarding point guards? Like Luca's proven he cannot stay with guards at all. So now you're almost going, you're almost zagging in the other direction from now you have nobody to guard guards. You're relying too much on Desmond Bain to guard them. You're relying too much on Dylan Brooks. You know, do you drop out Steven Adams and bring in, you know, DeAnthony Melton to kind of counteract that? So I think there are ways that around that, but I think that the argument can be made that Ja would actually have more success in Dallas than yeah. Luca would have in Memphis. Interesting. I I feel like if Luca was on Memphis, I feel like they might be the favorite in the Western Conference right now. Yeah, man, I it's it's tough to argue from an offensive mm-hmm. perspective because of how good Luca is. But I think that you have to think about that two way game, and that chemistry of what Ja is able to do, and from guarding guard, like it's that point of attack defense. Like Drew Holiday changed the entire NBA Finals, being down two zero. Mike Budenholzer said to Drew Holiday, "You are going to pick up Chris Paul." for 40 minutes full court you are going to be the point of attack pressure and they won four straight games they eased off him they let chris paul dictate the pace they let chris paul play his game he's the point god he's going to win 10 times out of 10 they took that away by drew holiday by taking away john Morant and bringing in luka Doncic. you now have no point of attack defender and i think that is a massive massive key to where why i would take ja over luka in that sense of if I have Ja, I always have a point of attack defender. I always have somebody that's going to push and pressure the ball for 30 plus minutes a game. You really value that defense. I, I, I like that. I like defense that. wins championships, baby. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. happen overnight. No, for real, it does. So I'm with that, man. I mean, that looks like, I mean, it looks like he wraps it up. I mean, I appreciate my man coming on, you know, plug it up. What's going on? Obviously you got the basketball files, TikTok, lay it out there. Like where, where can everyone find you? Like, where are you at? So everybody, uh, first off, I just want to shout out my boy here for bringing me on the podcast. Talk Hoops, chopped it up. Would definitely love to come back here and, and do, and do another episode for sure. Absolutely. And maybe I could get you, um, on my, on my page, do some stuff on TikTok and YouTube. Um, but yeah, if you guys want to check me out, I'm on TikTok, The Basketball Files. Um, you can also check me out on YouTube. I started posting content on YouTube. Um, my goal is to touch every NBA arena. Um, I'm doing interviews with fans at every arena, uh, hey. just checking out, just doing trivia, seeing how well you guys know your team. So, you know, maybe uh, I'll be in, at an arena near you soon. So just check out hey. my YouTube. Okay. I've done, yeah, I've done, I've done Houston Rockets. Uh, Dallas Mavericks, Spurs, and, and Indiana Pacers. So um, maybe I'll be, I'm planning to go to New York soon, New York, Boston, try and do okay. those ones. But That's yeah, what's up, man. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Be sure to check out my guy, check out Hawass. I mean, this has been great. I love talking hoops. I love talking hoops, people that, you know, you never know who you're going to meet in this circle, just like interacting, commenting online, just seeing. So yeah. we're definitely going to connect soon, kind of meet around. I mean, it's super exciting. So I appreciate you coming on Courtside Views, checking us out, Hawass. It's been a pleasure, my friend. We'll see you guys next time. Appreciate it. I appreciate it. Peace out, man.